0: I was uh, branching out, that's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. It was a way of uh, making me feel that uh, they were a part of
1: me. At at first it was just curiosity,
2: and then it became compulsive. Listening to the Synchronon. Sick and Run. Yes. You are listening to the Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one your host, Dee Simon.
1: Hi, I'm Kate Rambeau. Hiya.
2: Kate Rambo. Yeah. Is this the most wonderful time of the year for you?
1: No, why would it be? I think we all, like long-term listeners will know that I hate this time of year. And I'm glad I now live amongst the Jews where it it doesn't even feel like it's Christmas. It's fantastic.
2: I do love that about um, LA neighborhoods, like heavily Jewish LA neighborhoods, because you could drive around here and you don't see any Christmas decorations. It's
1: so good. I love it.
2: And Jews don't tend to go crazy with Hanukkah decorations. So it just kind of a, seems like a normal month.
1: It does. And I'm I'm excited to never celebrate it ever again.
2: But so far, how does the holiday season in the U.S. compare to the holiday season in Old Blighty?
1: Um, well, obviously, it's different now. Now I'm living in a Jewish neighborhood because there's a couple of trees. I've seen a couple, but it's not like... It's not, like, back home.
2: But do you find it more or less annoying?
1: Um, Well, I just find Christmas annoying in general. So I'm glad not to have to participate in it. Even just talking about Christmas gets me all het up.
2: (laughs) But I think here, though, especially when you go into stores like Rite Aid or Walgreens or something, it's just like you're just kind of bombarded with Christmas shit.
1: Oh, so... I've got to t- tell the Brits back home and the Australians, especially those who've never been to the States, you can get popcorn tins where it's got, what is it? Caramel popcorn, cheese popcorn, and uh, just regular popcorn. All just in one tin that usually has delightful puppies on the front.
2: Try flavored gourmet popcorn tins.
1: They don't exist in Britain, but you know what you don't have here? So we have chocolate tins where it's full of quality. their quality streets, roses, and celebrations at the Big Free. Okay, I would say that Quality Street and roses are more traditionally Christmas. You don't have them. Roses? It, yeah, it's like a bunch of different chocolates and they all come individually wrapped. And the entire, it's like, a, you know, it's a gift you would give somebody who you're like, oh, I like you, but I don't quite like you. Have a tin of Quality Street. And then you would eat that. You eat that from Christmas Day until New Year's hmm. and then it's gone.
2: Hardly compares to peppermint bark <laughs> or chocolate covered oh. cherries.
1: Let me tell you that peppermint bark is what I've been missing all my fucking life and all the chocolate covered cherries I'm like yeah I never need to go back to England now. I'm going to stock up on Ghirardelli's peppermint bark this. They, so well good. that is one
2: thing they do well in America It's just I mean it's just part of the gorging yourself during the holiday season. I mean just like no excess of just chocolate and candy and popcorn and just food in general. Eggnog in particular.
1: Yes, I must say as a person who loves uh, mint chocolate as well, this is a great season for me. There's just so much mint chocolate that I could consume, but I'm trying not to because I'm already a bit of a, a bit of a big piggy at the minute, so I'm going like, to fail it back.
2: <laughs> um, you know who someone, do, you, do you know of someone, this particular person, who will never be subjected to Christmas misery ever again?
1: Uh, dead people.
2: Lionel Dahmer.
1: Bless him. I felt a bit sad for Lionel Dahmer.
2: Why? Because he died right before Christmas?
1: Well, no, I'm sure he, as a scientific man, he probably was on hospice.
2: I mean, he was dying anyway.
1: I know, but like Lionel Dam is definitely one of those parents of a serial killer who isn't a daft cunt, who is like, you know, I really want to understand why my son turned out to be the way he was, and he looked at it from a very scientific point of view, as opposed to say somebody like Louise Bundy, who was like, my son never would. She wasn't seven. She's like, my son would never have killed all those women and then shagged their dead bodies and then shit on their faces. It's like, well, they did, Louise. He did it.
2: Well, Ted he definitely, I mean, he's still stuck by his son, but he didn't try to, you know, justify his crimes or yes. proclaim his innocence <laughs> or anything like that.
1: His book is very good as well. I like his book.
2: So Lionel Dahmer, uh, father to Jeffrey Dahmer, died in hospice care in Ohio at the age of 87 uh, This on uh, Tuesday, December 5th, so recently. Uh, passed away from unknown causes. But yes, as you are saying, Lionel was scientific, he was a scientific man, he was a chemical analyst. Um, But he always stuck by his son um, for some reason. He told Oprah in 1994, I still love my son, I'll always stick by him, I always have. And so what's odd, and I didn't even know this, but you know he was a regular visitor to see his son in prison? Yeah. Up until he was beaten to death with a metal bar by a fellow prisoner, Christopher Scarver, in 1994, which is less than a year after he was convicted of his heinous crime. So that kind of worked out well, if you think about it.
1: See, no, I for don't. Lionel. No, it didn't work out well for Lionel, who lost his son. I think, and I also think it was a huge miscarriage of justice the day that they determined that Jeffrey Dahmer was actually sane and could go to general population in prison. I mean, what the fuck?
2: Well, this I man think, eats people. I think people. That's subjective. I know, but I mean, a, a lot of criminals eat people.
1: Not the way Jeffrey Dahmer was eating people. Well, he was trying to create zombies. You're telling me that this zombies. man is sane. He's I,
2: not. I definitely think there's some mental illness. But, I mean, they had lawyers and judges and, science, and forensic scientists that proved that there was premeditation involved. It, that he knew what he was doing. So he dropped a bullet. sexual satisfaction.
1: Yeah, I'm just saying it wasn't, it wasn't right. And he should have been sent to the nut house. And we should have been observing this very strange character.
2: I think he would have been killed in the nut house too. Personally, I don't know. He was such a target.
1: But this, like you know, Ian Brady lived. You'd have thought they would have killed yeah, but him that's, in the nut that's house. in England. So, yeah, not going to
2: happen in the U.S.
1: Get fucking stopped um, in England, mate, all the time.
2: <laughs> so Lionel's caretaker, this guy named Jeb, um, said that uh, uh, Lionel would become enraged every time he heard uh, Christopher Scarver's name.
1: Yeah, because he killed his son. I mean, it's a very double-edged sword. Because at the same time, it's like. My son killed 33 people, but, like, you can't stop the love.
2: How can you stop the love? tortured, and ate a number of people. It's like, eh, you know, I don't know. I I don't know if the world's really suffering without having Jeffrey Dahmer around.
1: I think he should have been kept alive just so we could... Like, it's dissect
2: like, his brain. it's like
1: thinking about it this way. So there's still David Berkowitz out there. There's still Ed Kemper out there, you know there's like kind of something comforting in these madmen being locked behind bars in the fact that they can even try and give back to society like Ed Kemper's done, or we could be studying the shit out of them.
2: I just don't know how much more you'd learn from Dahmer. I mean, I guess when he dies, you can examine his abnormal brain.
1: Well, I don't think his brain will be abnormal. I think it'll be like the rest of us. I
2: think there's something. I think there's something malformed about that guy's psyche. Well, they do me. say
1: it was all the drugs his mother was on when she was well, pregnant with him. That's the
2: thing. You know, he, uh, Lionel divorced Dahmer's mother, Joyce, in 1978. So no one ever talks about Joyce.
1: Joyce is dead as well.
2: Yeah, but no one really talks about what she got up to. But I don't think she was uh, uh, you know, a very loving mother.
1: She wasn't. She had a lot of psychotic yeah. problems. And I mean, also, don't forget that Lionel does leave behind another son.
2: Yeah, David, who, yeah, um, yeah David, who's about six years younger than Dahmer. What happened to David, David Dahmer? D-
1: David Dahmer. That's a good <laughs> name. It sounds like the name of somebody who should be in the Osmonds.
2: Yeah, um, what does he do?
1: I'm not sure. When I did the thing on, because uh, I did a thing about Jeffrey Dahmer for The Overkill last year, When I, I tried looking into it, but like I, I even can't remember or I got bored looking.
2: Yeah, I wonder. Um, Lionel wrote a book, Father's Story, which told how he had bought up Dahmer from his perspective and tried to examine what made him commit the crimes that he did. Very he, good book. He said he was aware of his son's heavy drinking, his aimless nature, and fascination with dead animals. Well, there's a red flag.
1: Well, all of those things I like to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't think you torture animals.
1: <laughs> oh, I must say, I have tried to watch the Exorcist free, like no Poltergeist free, Exorcist free, Poltergeist free, which is the his, two different movies. Which is it's Exorcist free, isn't it? It's a good movie. Which, but which one? I you fall mean, asleep during it all the time. That's, oh, it's a great movie. That's, that's one of Dorsey Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, Jeffrey yeah, Dahmer's favorite movie. movies was Exorcist, was Exorcist three, 3 yeah. and Return of the Jedi.
2: I it's, it's a great movie. Um, Lionel said he made many attempts to get through to his son and encourage him to live a normal life, but mm. could find little reasons for why he became <laughs> a murderer in his account. This is what's great. He goes, at first, this is an interview with Dr. Phil in 2022. He goes, at first, I couldn't fathom how he turned out to be this far down the continuum. I mean, we're all on a continuum. You know, we do bad things. We all sin. But he was at the extreme of the continuum. And I couldn't understand how he could have done these things. You know, that's a bit of an understatement. He was, like, way, way (laughs) down at the extreme necrophilia end where you're turning people into dead gay sex slaves, like that end of the continuum. It's pretty far down from the the, the regular continuum.
1: I do imagine, though, that after you've killed, like, five or six people, it just is a very slippery slope.
2: Well, I think with Dahmer, though, I mean, he was, like, experimenting on these people. So I think yeah. he had that, like, detachment, like Mengla.
1: Yeah, but I think you, you you get that, though. I think once you've... I imagine the first time that you kill somebody is probably, like, very intense, and you're like, holy shit. But then you start learning from it, don't you? And by the seventh or eighth, you probably... Well, Dahmer was like, I don't know their names. Oh. I don't remember what they looked like. It's like, yeah, you don't, because you're just, like, you
2: Yeah, at that uh, point, it's just another subject. yeah. Um, despite living a very private life, Lionel could ne- never escaped his son's name, especially after Netflix dropped that series on the murders.
1: Uh-huh, yeah.
2: Um, he said that deranged fans would show up at his door acting hostile and aggressive, and even one woman left her underwear on his doorstep.
1: For him? Was that meant to be for him? Or was it like, send it off to Jeffrey?
2: <laughs> not, I, no, this was recently. This this happened recent.
1: Like, yeah, but I mean, like, what this did, happened recently, did she like, fancy like, Lionel Dahmer? Oh, did she fancy Jeffrey Dahmer? Who I don't are you know. Leaving your underwear for
2: fancy leaving her underwear on Lionel's doorstep.
1: Okay, very strange.
2: Um, Jeb, the caretaker, said anything that you know related to Dahmer just blows up. It seems like every time a movie or series comes out, that's when uh, a lot of the crazy starts happening with the fanboys and the fangirls. Lionel had actually considered suing Netflix for glamorizing his son's crimes in that dramatic series um, and for not contacting his son's legal team to get access to the tape recordings that they use in the documentary. Does that sound familiar?
1: It does sound familiar. Let's say uh, here's Bob. Bastard
2: Netflix. I know very well how oh, it you're feels talking about to be you. screwed <laughs> by fucking Netflix.
1: I was talking about Bob from Defense Diaries because he also got screwed by Netflix, remember?
2: Yeah, who cares about that guy? I'm talking about myself. <laughs> oh, Hunter Moore. Happy birthday, Bob. That horrible documentary that they did. Is anyone up? Guess who they quoted in that? Guess who did not get asked for permission? Guess who didn't get any money? And barely any notoriety, but whatever. Go check out the uh, recordings, though, if you want to hear some choice sound clips from Sick and Wrong.
1: Didn't you say that you really admired Hunter's balls?
2: Yeah, but they played it out of context. Uh-huh, yeah, There's a yeah, reason why uh-huh. I admired his balls.
1: Chinny reckon.
2: So do you think that uh, Jeffrey ever invited his mother and father over to his Milwaukee apartment for a home-cooked Christmas dinner?
1: No, and no, and definitely not.
2: <laughs> you never, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they've stopped. They, I'm sure they visited his apartment.
1: His dad did a couple of times, but. They, did
2: he give him a bologna sandwich?
1: Well, I thought you were going to say, did he give him a blowjob <laughs>
2: Of course you'd think that. (laughs) No. Um,
1: Well, also, don't forget, Jeffrey Dahmer also never really cooked, apart from human flesh. He was like, he would go out and get a McDonald's.
2: Regardless, I'd question the ingredients of his mince pies.
1: Well, because I think we all know what's going in his mince pies, and that's (laughs) black man penis.
2: Human flesh. And so that is the subject of this week's show. We're going to discuss in grave detail the proper way to season human flesh. It's a little more complicated than you might think. Yeah, we're going to. And what does it really taste like, Kate That's Rambo? what we're going to get. That's going to be gonna the price of it. But before we get into all that, let's chat about something a bit more filling than a, uh, a Christmas roast at Dahmer's house. Sick and Wrong Patron. <laughs> God. So if you are grateful that we record this show every week, if you listen to this show every week, if you're excited about it, then all we ask for you is to uh, sign up for the Sick and Wrong Patron. And uh, support the show. Just give us a couple bucks. Keep this show going. It's all a community here. A very deranged community. Uh, it's only five dollars a month. That's it. And you get access to a full second show. Uh, we do we do a bonus show for the uh, the patron and for ample podcast in, in addition to our regular show. Um, this week on second show, we chat about all the details of the big move that we just did uh, to the new Sick and wrong studio. Yeah, I'm still setting that up. Uh, we talk about my fight with my shit. Head landlord, I was about to say uh, something horrible, worse, but I cut myself off. Are you about to be racist? My <laughs> shitty landlord over my uh, security deposit. Uh, we also do a news story about a New Jersey man uh, who's been charged with murder after he was found lying naked on top of his mother's decapitated corpse.
1: Did he try to eat her as well?
2: You're going to have to listen to the second show to find that out. That's $5 a month to get access to, um, to the second show as well as the uh, Discord all on, uh, on Patreon. And then and we also uh, post the second show on Apple Podcasts as well. So there's a couple different ways uh, to keep it sick and wrong. Also, I posted recently the uh, the first six years, the archives on Apple Podcasts. Just, just do a search for Sick and Wrong Podcasts and you can subscribe to the archives that way as well. Um, Patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Uh, we do appreciate the support. So let me, let me play this quick uh, Patreon promo and then let's chat about how to... Uh, properly seasoned human flesh. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners, if you're not a Sick and Wrong patron, then you might be missing out on special phone calls like this one. I bought a speculum from Amazon. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, I get this fucking thing, and it's not the best made thing ever. Uh, (laughs) I should have saved this for the
1: (laughs) made This is also experiment there's experimenting sexually together buying a speculum is not experimenting sexually that's being like that's me- for medical use that's there's there's know... no point if i was at a man's house and he says let's do something kinky baby and i was like yeah i'm really up for that too let's do it and then he rocked out a fucking speculum i'd be like what the fuck why do you want to see my cervix?
2: I want to see what you got it? in there. Let's go spelunking. Oh,
1: I mean, you fucking you know, put that. Every I, woman has a fear of a speculum. No woman goes, oh yeah, baby, put that speculum in. It's like an what, uncomfortable what the fuck, Is
2: he like role playing as a gynecologist? Like a really <laughs> shitty, junky gynecologist? Yeah, this is not
1: kinky sex. <laughs> this is like unsatisfying sex. <laughs> What woman has ever said to you, "Oh yeah, I can only come if you gape my vagina apart"?
2: I know. That's I the sh- only
1: way I can come.
2: I shouldn't like- be as hard as I am right now, but. Whatever. <laughs> For just five dollars, you can hear the rest of this phone call, a bonus news story, and about an hour's worth of outtakes every week at Patreon.com/sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong.
1: So it's like you were saying, Lionel Dahmer, he's probably the most famous father of a cannibal in, like, modern history. And even though cannibalism is prevalent throughout human history, it's obviously very taboo. I mean, to some people. To some people, it's taboo. I don't really see the problem with it. Also, did you have the drink taboo here in America? Or is that just a British thing?
2: I've never heard of the drink, but there was a magazine called Taboo.
1: It was like a kind of liqueur drink like a very summer drink. It was something you would drink when you were like 16 17 to get buzzed and you'd have it with lemonade. I don't think it exists anymore.
2: Is it uh similar to a pims? A pims mm. cocktail. A
1: pims cup. No. A pims cup. No, it's like just pure sugar. I could I can't I could smell taboo before I could drink like describe the taste of it.
2: I don't think I've ever seen it before. Is very it still around?
1: T- very 2000s. Huh. I, it might be, probably. So there are also lots of myths that surround the ancient act of, you know, cannibalistic consumption. And during this season of gorging oneself, what could be more seasonal? And we will talk about the seasonings that work best with human flesh than a friendly episode about eating one's neighbor. So uh, the word cannibal actually comes from the Spanish word uh, cannibalis, which was Christopher Columbus's version of the word caribs, which is the name that people from the Caribbean actually called themselves. So they meant carib as in brave ones. So something got lost here. like christopher columbus cares most cannibals are fictional but the majority of the ones that we're going to be discussing are very very real so there are two camps of cannibalism so the survival cannibalism and then there's ritual slash cuisine cannibals like jeffrey Dahmer. and we're gonna be falling more into the taste camp but you know we are gonna to have to go back into like a little history to begin with, a little boring history first. Before we
2: get to that, though, there are three categories of cannibalism. Exo, endo, and auto cannibalism. So, exo cannibalism is often distinguished from endo. So, endo cannibalism refers to the consumption of a person from the same community. And that's usually part of like a funerary ceremony. So, a lot of tribes did this. Similar to burial or cremation in other cultures, the consumption of the recently deceased uh, can be considered an act of affection. And a major part of the grieving process, which is kind of fucked if you think about it.
1: See, no, it's, you always do this, and I don't think it is, and I don't think any death ritual is fucked you, up. So would you, I think what we do is fucked up, where it's like we lay the body out on a slab, pump them full of chemicals, and then we don't even grieve for it. Yeah. Like, this okay. to me makes kind of more sense. Yeah,
2: eating your mom's tit, that <laughs> makes sense to you?
1: Who says I want to eat a tit? Maybe That's I want what, to what eat if, her mom. You got to
2: eat part of her body. What if they're like, you got to eat the tits?
1: That, but maybe and that's like, normal. All right. Well, you know, you did eat are <laughs> putting someone tear. in a
2: coffin. I, don't, I didn't eat it and consume it. I drank you, milk.
1: You drank mu- milk from your mom's yeah, tip. So what's the difference? That's a
2: bit of a difference than actually eating the flesh.
1: If you throw it on a grill and it tastes good, I mean, why not? I,
2: I think I'll pass on that. Um, but it's, it's in some cultures, especially um, your tribal cultures, it's been explained as a way of guiding the souls of the dead into the bodies of living descendants. I think I'll pass on that. Now, exocannibalism <laughs> is the consumption of a person from outside the community, and that's usually an act of aggression, often in the context of warfare. So, the, where the flesh of uh, killed or captured enemies may be eaten to celebrate one's victory over them. We're definitely going to get to that. In oh a bit.
1: yeah, that's the a fun one. Um,
2: but both types of cannibalism can be fueled by the belief that eating a person's flesh or internal organs will endow the cannibal with some of the characteristics of the deceased. And so that, that occurred in, like, New Guinea and the Indonesian tribes, the Dayaks, for example, and the Congo Basin um, that, that was practiced, although they do dispute in the Congo whether or not they're cannibals.
1: Oh, they're out there.
2: I'm sure. And now the, uh, the final type here is autocannibalism, also called autophagy or self-cannibalism, and that's the Sexy. act of eating parts of oneself. And, you know, it doesn't seem to have been, like, an institutionalized practice, but occasionally occurs as pathological behavior. Uh, or due to other reasons such as curiosity, or I think sexual satisfaction. So, I was about
1: to say, run, Jeremy.
2: Well, he didn't eat himself.
1: He sucks himself off, and then he swallows his own cum.
2: Hey, he sucks his own dick, but that's like auto fellatio. I'm talking about. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some people who do eat themselves, okay, as part of performance art. Um, but also on record are instances of uh, forced auto cannibalism, where individuals are forced to eat parts of their own bodies as a form of torture.
1: Yeah, it's not fun. So there are evidence of humans actually chowing down on other humans from around 1.45 million years ago. But the first known cannibal was a Neanderthal from around 100,000 years ago when six sets of remains were discovered in a cave in Moulagouassie, France. I can't speak French, sorry. All the remains kind of showed evidence of tools being used to scrape out brains and bone marrow, as well as like, you know, tool marks showing that they were cutting off flesh from the tongue and the thighs. So, cannibalism was also practiced in Egypt and Roman times, and cannibalistic acts have like really diverse motives in Greek mythology. So, the most famous is the story of Cronos and Zeus. And uh, we've also got, you know, Saturn as well, Cronos eating the son of Saturn, which led to then the Battle of the Titans.
2: Which uh, I have a picture of actually. You have the one... Yeah, the Goya. Yeah, no, and oh God, I can't remember which ex girlfriend bought it for me, but it was one of the coolest, uh, one of the cooler birthday gifts I've had.
1: It is cool. And anyone who, uh, Battle of the Titans as well. This is all very God of War. So people who've played God of War will know all this. There's uh, in Greek mythology, there's also uh, Tantalus who cooked his child for the gods. Uh, King Thereseus who actually deadly eats his son who was murdered and prepared for a meal fit for the king as an act of revenge after the king had raped his sister-in-law. And there's King uh, Lysion also roasted his son's flesh for Zeus. And, you know, Zeus Zeus being Zeus, the one who generally thought that all of mankind was beneath him, he killed the rest of his sons in retribution for being besmirched.
2: (laughs) He offends easily.
1: He does. So there's all this and more in grief and mythology. These stories existed as folklore tales long before they were written down. And cannibalism made its way into fairy tales and literature. We've obviously got Hansel and Gretel, Snow White, Red Riding Hood. It, they all revolve around like themes of hunger, cooking, and cannibalism. So even Freud and Jung, they poked their little cocaine-filled noses into the delicious and deadly world of man-meat. So Freud's whole psychoanalytical concept of like the castration anxiety, this plays out in two parts. You've got the boy's fear of his father and then you have the father's fear of his children. So there's, there's the conflict between young and old, the fear and jealousy of the young cult that will one day become a stallion. And this can be cured by the permanent solution of cannibalism.
2: What are you supposed to eat your dad's dick? In a way, yeah. Metaphorically speaking.
1: Metaphorically. So, using Zeus and Kronos as the examples, so you have Zeus representing the future. This is the fret for the father in present time, as portrayed by Kronos. So, no matter how ferocious the father is, the present cannot stay in the way of the future. So Carl Jung took this bones of Freud's theory and he declared that the role of the psychoanalysis is with Kronos, saying it is the analyst's job to dismember and eat the patient's psycho- psychopathology with regurgitating the psyche whole and undiseased. They're just, they're mental, these guys.
2: <laughs> I think they're doing a lot Out of, of cocaine. cocaine.
1: Really good cocaine, too. So yeah, this is all very metaphorical. It's very heavy. It's somewhat dry toast. We want to get to the juicy center of cannibalism. We want to answer the important questions such as what's the best way to cook human flesh? And is it just as tasty as any other meat out there? But we are also not the first people to ponder such things. So a little, a little bit back then in pre-colonial times, somewhere between 1325 and 1524, a dish that is now known as, I will probably will say it wrong, pozole.
2: You know, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. I think it's Pozzoli.
1: Pozzoli. I'm saying it in an Italian way, even though it's uh, fucking Mexican, which was then known as, and I will butcher this as well, Ticatioli. Ticatioli.
2: I don't know how to say these kind of Mayan Aztecan words. It's it's all consonants with a couple vowels. I don't know. You're on your own with this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Adam uh, from from Japan can (laughs) speak Aztec. If you can, ring in and let me know. This this word translates to men-shelled corn. And it was a privileged dish to eat for the uh, Aztecian elite in Mexico. And it was generally served during a celebration for the god uh, totec And it has one very special ingredient. I think you know what the one special ingredient is. Typically, it would be the leg of a captured warrior or some slaves from other tribes. Which is kind of like waste not want not, you know. They're your enemies, might as well eat them.
2: Well, I think it's to... to it's the tribal way of like consuming the flesh to gain the characteristics of the deceased. Yes. So a mighty warrior, you're eating a leg of a mighty warrior, you're going to become a mighty warrior.
1: So Emperor Motsi he had a grand feast that featured not just the familiar boiled corn dish, but human flesh with the royal having a whole thigh reserved for himself, which is very sexy. I think to, to eat the thigh is very sexy. Of all the human body parts, I think the thigh is the sexiest to eat.
2: Would they want like a Sodbuster's thigh or is that too much fat?
1: It's too much fat. You want to go for like, you know, when you're the right right amount of marbling. Not too lean because like you don't want to eat lean Because then be sinewy. Yeah, you want to have somebody somebody a bit podgy. Maybe me.
2: So a chubby person is what you'd want.
1: You want a big piggy like me. (laughs) I would probably be the best. So after the Spanish rolled in and they take control out of the old, as in there's no more human meat allowed now, guys, and they're going to bring in the new. So it's now pork and Pozzoli is still a dish that's enjoyed today, especially around Christmas time.
2: Has the recipe changed a bit?
1: Well, again, this is a thing where it's like there's lots of like different types of pozzoli, but basically it's a hominy stew with meats, beans, corns, lots of greens and spices um, but the people say after the people meat was ditched, they actually subbed in rodent meat instead. And they also say that it was once filled uh, with the hairless, the famous hairless dog of Mexico. I am sorry. The Show Quintley. Oh,
2: you know yeah. what I mean? Now, you know, my uh, my ex-girlfriend's like mother's best friend, this gay dude, had three of those. Three of them? Yeah. And uh, have you they ever like actually... sphinxes? No, not at all. Like, he kept saying, he's like, oh, is your hairless dog, or is my hairless dog like your hairless cat? And I was like, no, not even a little bit. Because it's like, those dogs are really bumpy and greasy.
1: So they're not, because like, sphinxes feel like velvet. They feel like peach fizz.
2: Sphinxes actually do have hair. It's like fuzz, though. It's like, you know, really tiny hair. And it's like, they kind of feel like velvet. This dog felt like a scab, like a bumpy, like a burn victim scab. It's
1: kind of endearing.
2: Oh, it's really gross. They're really they're they're pretty dark. I mean, they're kind of cool looking. Yeah,
1: because they're all black. but it's
2: like their skin is gross. And if they sit on your couch, it just leaves this greasy stain.
1: You know what, Doc? I think is adorable and is also na- nearly naked. The Chinese crested. The Chinese
2: crested. I they're, like those. They're yeah. cute. I those would totally cool have looking. one of them.
1: So, the 13th, f- between the 13th and the 14th century in China, you know, you've got the Wan dynasty. So, human based dis- dishes were actually once considered a luxury here. And it was noted that children's meat was the best food of all in taste. Because, yeah, children aren't very muscly. They're kind of podgy, bit lean. I get it.
2: Yeah, but they got a lot of fat. So, don't you have to like, cut through the fat? Or is it like veal?
1: It's like delicious fat. It's probably isn't like it? veal.
2: Yeah. Like a baby, like, you know, it's a baby.
1: The country also reported cases of children cutting off various body parts, usually a section of their thigh or their upper arm, to use in dishes for their elders as a sign of respect. Whatever. But we all know the Chinese will eat anything. (laughs)
2: <laughs> are you are you referring to that the that that guy on rotten that was that was pictured eating a supposed baby?
1: Right, I'm also referring to him, but I'm also referring to the covid cuz oh, yeah. we all know okay. <laughs> Yeah, right. So the guy on rotten.com, uh, I will one day get through an episode about mentioning rotten.com. People know what I'm talking about. These photos were taken as part of a performance called Eating People or Eater," and it was performed on the 17th of October in the year 2000 in Shanghai by avant-garde performance artist uh, Zhai Yu, um, and he's the man in the photos. One widely publicized report quotes the artist saying that to create Eater," he had to cook the corpses of babies that had been stolen from a medical school.
2: So they weren't living. It's not like he had to, like, you know, oh, kill them, exterminate and exterminate them. them, and then eat them.
1: See, I'd be worried about eating like a dead baby from um, like you don't know how it's died.
2: Yeah, what about the formaldehyde?
1: well, I imagine like the or babies preserved? are just dead. Well, maybe they were just waiting to go in the incinerator, and he just took them off a tray.
2: But you still don't know how long they've been dead. Dead. Yeah, yeah I would want to eat involved. fresh
1: meat. So he admitted that the meat obtained from the bodies tasted bad. He said he vomited several times while eating it. However, he also said that he had to do it for art's sake.
2: A true artist.
1: Maintaining that no religion forbids cannibalism, nor can I find any law which prevents us from eating people. So he acted out a performance in which he appeared to eat a stillborn or an aborted child and said that he took advantage of the space between morality and the law and he based his work on it. But whether he actually obtained and ate the fetus for his performance or he employed a prop such as a doll's head placed atop a duck's carcass is still a subject of debate 23 years later. We still don't know.
2: But the pics were no less, you know, were less provocative. Oh, that's I mean, yeah, a lot of people freak out about them. So he's not the only performance artist to, uh, to, to engage in cannibalism. So there's a Latvian artist named Arthur Burzins, who cooked up some controversy Ooh. after he live-streamed a cannibalistic performance where he had two people slice their own... Like, he had them uh, slice flesh off with a scalpel, and then he cooked it in a pan, and then he fed it to them.
1: Oh, so there's something... What's the, um, you know the Hannibal film? Where Ray Liotta eats his own brain?
2: Uh, that that was uh, the third. That was Hannibal.
1: Yeah, Hannibal. Yeah. That's kind of like that then.
2: Well, sort of. I don't think Ray Liotta did it willingly. Like these people were part of the performance, and he he flayed a section of their backs, and then he cooked the food and he fed it to them.
1: I was I don't think back would be very tasty. I would well, be it's like,
2: pretty muscular.
1: I know. I'd be like, can we do a bit of my thigh?
2: I think thigh or back would be the
1: tastiest.
2: So people were really outraged with the performance. I mean, there's a, a, a whole spate of online uh, complaints uh, and they even uh, contact the police to investigate to see if, a, you know, an actual crime was committed.
1: Why are they complaining if people are doing it willingly and it's their own meat? What are you complaining about?
2: Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, there is no law against cannibalism. Yeah. And I'll get to that in a second, but is, but there's no law against cannibalism, especially in, in many countries. So they've, voluntarily did this and then they consumed their own flesh it's within the realms of of legality so he didn't really break the law but maybe it's just in poor taste no pun intended um he said this performance is a metaphor of consumerist society a society that consumes itself he called it eschatology, which means that it's a spiritual study of death in the end times. So the premise of the show was to highlight what would happen to humanity if global food sources ran out and we were forced to resort to cannibalism, consume each other. Uh, but he's not the only one. There's another uh, another performance artist. Kind of seems like a uh, kind of a popular, provocative theme here.
1: I like how it's. Like, it's men as well. Like, yeah, you don't see women men. performance artists being like, I'm going to eat myself tonight.
2: Well, you might remember. Do you remember this guy, Mao Shugiyama? He's a performance artist from Tokyo. Uh, he's a self-described asexual. Um, he cooks and served his own genitals at a banquet in Tokyo.
1: What part of his genitals? Like, his, his whole penis? His his dick, yeah. So he- what, he castrated himself and then served that up for everyone to eat?
2: Yeah, and you had to pay for it. Like, there are five diners who would have spent $250 a piece for this meal.
1: This would have been a better film than that film menu. <laughs> I want to see this.
2: I mean, people were really upset when, uh, I mean, there was a huge controversy. Uh, this happened in 2012 when he tweeted out, please retweet in, in parentheses, I'm offering my male genitals, full penis, testes, and scrotum as a meal for 100,000 yen. I'll prepare and cook as the buyer requests at his chosen location. So just a couple days before his 22nd birthday, because he's asexual, he underwent an elective genital removal surgery. He then divvied up the severed penis shaft, testicles, and scrotal skin between five people, garnished it with button mushrooms and Italian parsley.
1: (laughs) I think... (laughs) Because <laughs> sometimes dicks look like a fucking mushroom tip anyways. <laughs> I think that's a little in joke there.
2: Um, five of six diners signed up for the 250 dollars a plate fee sat down to dinner. A uh, six person uh, ended up uh, bailing on it.
1: 250. That's played. pretty fucking cheap. I'd be like to chop my entire junk off and feed it to you. I want a couple of grand.
2: I mean, I, th- I don't think this, I don't think money was the issue for this guy.
1: Well, I would still want a little money for my art. Like $250, it just feels a bit fucking cheap.
2: I think he was making his statement. Um, So the next day, the organizer posted a blog, which was deleted, uh, that contained pictures of the event, even though I found a picture of the event.
1: Oh, nice. So
2: I'm going to post that to the the website. Um, But images showed dozens of people who attended the event just to catch a glimpse of the rare treat. But there was just one table with the five diners. Yeah. And he served it to them. Uh, the story blew up in Japan. Um, but some even showed more interest while there's complaint. So uh, Japanese authorities were called, um, but they ended up investigating, deemed the banquet legal because there's no law against cannibalism in the country. And so I was looking into it, I'm like, is there a law against cannibalism you know, in England or the US? England has no laws against cannibalism. Oh nice. I'm
1: moving back to England. And
2: what's surprising <laughs> is that in the US there are no actual laws against cannibalism except for one exception so in 49 states you can at least theoretically eat human flesh and drink human blood in full view of a policeman and suffer no legal consequences but if you do that in idaho it's the one exception. You could spend up to 14 years behind bars.
1: What happened in Idaho to make them have that law? Something happened in Idaho where they were like, not here, boys. Well, you'd think Wisconsin
2: would have the same law as Idaho. Oh, yeah, after Ed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Dahmer. You,
1: you would think, yeah, Ohio. Ed and
2: Dahmer. It's like you'd think Wisconsin's like, God, it's happened twice, man. They're eating people here. Let's make a law against cannibalism. But nah, they're just like, it's America. We're free here.
1: Well, in the South, the South Forey tribe of Papua New Guinea, they're going to eat you out of love. At least they eat you out of love. So the Foray believe it's much better that a dead body of a loved one be eaten by their family than by worms or insects. And if you are to partake in the ritual, the body is laid out on a bed of edible greens, very tasty, which is then placed on top of banana leaves. So when the body is cut up, nothing will be lost to the ground, as this is considered very disrespectful to the dead. The body is divided up between the family with the anagra, those who have the right to the body. They're presenting the head and sometimes the right arm to the matriarchs in the tribe. Mm. As the body is cut up, pieces of meat are put in piles for each person with the bones of the corresponding parts placed on top. And when the torso is about to be cut open, the older women they form a wall around the body using their, like, kind of uh, capes. They wear capes so that the younger women and children do not see the intestines and the genitals when they are removed, which is quite polite.
2: Yeah, but why wouldn't they want to, like, desensitize the kids at, like, an early age?
1: Well, I mean, they're still, like, you know, kids are kids. They'll be scared.
2: Yeah, but they're going to be eating those genitals later.
1: Maybe I, this made me think like the Donner Pass. should have done something like this <laughs> instead of spreading fear for our. We should yeah. go up to the Donner Pass sometime.
2: Yeah, we should. I've never actually been there. Oh, we should. So, it's up like kind of near Sacramento. Let's do it. In.
1: Let's do it in uh, the summertime though. I've learned from the (laughs) Domino Party's mistake. So the widow will receive the genitals and the intestines, and she shares these with her female relatives and other women and children in the region because men do not take part in this ritual. They are not allowed. So they all feast until the body is gone, and then they do a whole other bunch of rituals, which we don't have time to go into. This is not an anthropological podcast. But it is here that we must mention the dangers of eating people. And most of you will know of the infectious agent called Kuru. So Kuru is obviously rare for a reason. It's incurable. Although a cure to kuru is to like not eat brains. Yeah,
0: <laughs> there's one way you don't catch it.
1: <laughs> it's a fatal neurodegenerative disorder. So kuru literally translates to trembling, but it's also known as the laughing sickness due to the probably terrifying pathological bursts of laughter, which are a side effect of the disease.
2: Yeah, that's psychotic.
1: It's very similar to mad cow disease in that it incubates for a number of years before you will succumb to it. So one of my exes, his sister was a scientist for the NHS, and she always used to say, because me and my ex were similar ages, like same age. And she used to be like, your lot, wait until you lot get into your 40s, because we all ate like so much like mad cow disease meat in our childhoods like fit all the Brits will know I'm talking about Finder's crispy pancakes had mad cow disease meat in it we all grew up eating them all well, of us
2: why did mad cow disease did it originate in England because it seemed like it just was a was a major issue there but not really in other parts of the world
1: I don't think it originated in Britain but we just had outbreaks of it and then we had outbreaks of foot and mouth which I think contribute too I don't know. I'm not like a mad cow disease. Yeah, I just scientist. I never understood
2: why it came from England. Or if you guys knew about it, you're like, oh fuck it, I love meat. I'm gonna keep eating it anyway. I think
1: that's exactly what it was. <laughs> the food industry was just like, nah, keep giving them their finders crispy pancakes, like they're buying them.
2: Vegetarians are puffs.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
2: we're gonna keep eating meat regardless of the chances of us catching mad cow disease.
1: So in Britain, my generation, as in the elder millennials in the next 10, 15 years, there's going to be a spike in mad cow disease-related deaths because it incubates. What a long time, though. Because it incubates inside of you, and you either don't show symptoms or you start showing subtle signs of symptoms. Like now would be the age where some people would start showing symptoms.
2: So is, is there going to be a lot of psychotic English laughing for no reason?
1: Oh, we do that anyways. Because that starts happening? Because we're wankers, we it's do that. it be like
2: 28 days. Like 28 days uh, later.
1: Yeah, but with just a load of English wankers (laughs) dying. So the Fari people actually stopped consuming their dead in the early 1960s, and the last victim of Kuru died in either 2009 or 2005. They argue about it. So in the early stages, you will tremble. You're going to suffer from a loss of muscle control. You're going to have difficulty speaking. And you'll experience joint pain and headaches. It advances to the manic laughter stage until you are no longer able to sit up without form of support. You become incontinent. Your body no longer processes nutrients, so you become malnourished. Your immune system breaks down. It begins to attack you. You develop infectious, uh, chronic, ulcerated wounds. And if they don't kill you, the pneumonia will.
2: That's uh, not a great way to go out.
1: Well, brains, you need them, but you shouldn't eat them. That's the moral of that story.
2: So, contrary to popular belief, feasting on human flesh is not especially nutritious.
1: I thought the liver was, and the brain
2: is. Well, no, the brain. I mean, has an, you know, it might have cu- agents. You no, know, it
1: might have kuru. But I've always, I've always read that if you're going to eat a part of the human, you eat the liver.
2: It says all the flesh on an average human, not including the organs, contains around 32,375 calories. So, I mean, you're going to gain some weight there. A human heart contains just over 650 calories. So that probably is good for a, a nice solid meal.
1: Oh, that's really good. Maybe but you, you should focus think, on the organs. You've also got to think about the protein that you're getting from it. Get f- it's just like a straight hit of protein.
2: So eating human flesh actually has a lot of health risks. As we mentioned, Kuru... But uh, there's a lot of bloodborne diseases like hepatitis, AIDS. HIV, yeah, uh, and then foodborne ones like E. coli, if the meat hasn't been, uh, has been poorly handled and undercooked. And then eating human brains you know, comes with the, uh, the, 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 the mad cow disease side effect. So, I mean, I don't know. I think you should think twice before you start eating human flesh, or at least know where you got it from. A lot of bacteria there, a lot of pathogens.
1: So we know that tribe people can be a bit weird. It comes with the territory. But you know who else is also known for being a bit wacky and being a bit weird? Do you know who it is? It's the Japanese. And cannibalism is on the menu. And I don't just mean the famous cannibal. um, It's the Yasagawa who liked a little bit of French meat. He actually said about the taste of meat that the buttocks melted on his tongue like raw tuna. And his favorite meat was the thigh which he described as wonderful. However, he also said that he didn't like the breasts because they were too greasy.
2: Did he like living breasts? Uh,
1: You've seen pictures of his eyes. (laughs) Like, he's not getting breasts. So this is in contrast, actually, to Alfred Packer, who killed five members of his Rocky Mountains expedition team in the late 1800s when provisions ran low. So the intrepid explorer, he told a journalist in 1883 that the breast muscle was the sweetest meat that he had ever tasted. So that's good mm. for him. So anyways, we're going back to the East. Historian and associate professor of political science at the University of Melbourne, and um, Toshiyuko Tanaka, he uncovered more than 100 cases of Japanese Imperial Army soldiers eating the flesh of Australian troops, Asian laborers, and the indigenous people of Papua New Guinea. So this was actually the first Japanese investigation into the atrocities committed and the most extensive study of the subject to date. We know, we know how like Japan likes to keep all their horrible history under wraps.
2: I wonder if they did that they ate it raw like sushi or if it was actually cooked
1: do a bit of both because they
2: eat horse flesh raw
1: yeah but you do a bit of both they also like warm meat. so these documents clearly show that cannibalism was done by a whole group of japanese soldiers and in some cases they were not even starving tanaka said <laughs> some their supply lines had been cut off were generally hungry but in other cases officers offered troops to eat human flesh to give them a feeling of victory Tanaka's findings, they're based on Japanese army documents seized by Australian troops, plus the testimony of witnesses and the confessions of Japanese soldiers at war crime trials. An Australian army corporal recounted how he had found the mutilated bodies of his uh, comrades. One only had his hands and feet untouched.
2: What, everything else just had bite marks in it?
1: Yeah, but not the hands or the feet. (laughs) I wouldn't want to eat a foot either, but I imagine if you're a foot fetishist, would you eat the foot first?
2: Probably would keep the foot for other reasons.
1: (laughs) An Australian lieutenant described finding the dismembered remains of several bodies, saying in all cases, the condition of the remains was such that there can be no doubt that the bodies had been dismembered and portions of the flesh had been cooked. A Pakistani corporal captured in Singapore and transported to Papua New Guinea for slave labour claimed hungry Japanese soldiers killed and ate one prisoner a day, reaching a total of, I don't know, about 100
2: a lot of prisoners.
1: There's a lot of snacking every day. Getting fat. They all become big piggies on this diet. Um, what I'm going to talk about next is delightful to say because I'm, it includes the name of my baby angel son. And this is Chi-Chi Jima incident. Chi-Chi. And this occurred late in 1944 where Japanese soldiers captured nine airmen, tortured and beheaded eight of them. And then, you know, ate four of them. For shits and giggles, why not? (laughs) The ninth and the only one to survive the meet and greet and the sashimi party was to be the one-day president, George H.W. Bush, who was a 20-year-old pilot at the time. Like, what are the fucking odds? Wait,
2: wait, wait. George H.W. Bush was the one who survived it?
1: The only one who survived. His whole team were killed, beheaded, some of them eaten, and he's there just watching it all like, my
2: God. That's insane. I know. I've never heard that.
1: Yeah, I know, I know it's not popular to say, but I do like his son, George Bush. I think he's hilarious.
2: <laughs> you, never, you never had to deal with that guy.
1: I remember it at the you time. Were, you weren't living
2: here when he was president. I know,
1: not my president, but who's worse? George Bush Jr. or Trump?
2: I mean, I think they're, I think they're kind of on the same level. It wasn't George Bush who was, who was the worst. It was George Bush's uh, administration. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had some evil people in that administration. Yeah, Trump sucks too. But I mean, at least Trump had some people that were like, yo, dude, you got to chill.
1: George Bush had some iconic moments, though, like when he ducked from the shoes.
2: No, no, he M. he had some some great gaffes. And he said some Watch fucking idiotic shit, just like <laughs> Trump. But I don't think that like, you know, justifies the, the shit that that guy caused and did.
1: I just have a bit of an endearing feeling towards him. I think, he's very I think a lot of
2: people have this like revisionist history with George Bush now that he's like kind of dementia read in and he like paints cute pictures of dogs but they just forget how many people were uh, slaughtered in iraq for no reason
1: Meh. you gotta, <laughs> you gotta go break a few eggs to make an omelet so in james bradley's book fly boys a true story of courage he details several instances of cannibalism of world war ii allied prisoner allied prisoners by the japanese captors this includes not only ritual cannibalis- cannibalization of the livers of the freshly killed army dudes, but also the cannibalization of substance of living prisoners over the course of several days. So they would amputate your limbs over time only as needed. So they're basically keeping the fresh meat going.
2: Wow, that fucking is, is, like, is shit. Yeah, this is like uh, Texas Chainsaw territory.
1: Yeah. So it makes you think that maybe, you know, the accident in the Andes in 1972, that might have had a lower body count if the meat had been on a fresh supply.
2: Well, though in the Andes, didn't wasn't that meat frozen? Like they were just Alive. cutting off chunks of like butt meat.
1: They they also, like, suffered a lot from eating that meat. You know, that movie is so fucking boring. But the, the book's is. really good.
2: Yeah, the book, actually, we read the book, I think we read the book in uh, college. It's good. Yeah. Um, cases yeah. of people eating human livers, though, especially of enemies, have been reported from across the world.
1: With a fine Chianti, by any chance. Yeah, well, beans. a lot
2: of people did. Um, you know, after the Battle of Uhud in 16, 625, um, Hin Bint Utba... ate the liver of hamza ibn ad al-mutallib Mutalib, is the uncle of the prophet muhammad oh no way at the time the liver was considered the seal of life and the french catholics ate the livers and hearts of the huguenots in 1572 in some cases they even offered them for sale
1: yeah because you'd be like go home love make a lovely pate have it with some toast it'll be delicious. Well
2: and I, I think there was like a you know a level of conquest but also it was elevated to eat the liver compared to other parts other organs of the human body.
1: Some parts of me are still very British like even though I don't eat meat I loved liver. I have
2: never had that. It's so
1: deli- it's, like, it's like it's like it's a very unique kind of texture nearly spongy and Ugh. very like moist. I don't it's Vile. just it just is very salty, and I f- one of the things I miss the most is pâté, because I've never seen a vegetarian pâté, and I just don't think they will ever, ever get it right, because it's something that's just so unique to the liver taste.
2: Have you ever had foie gras?
1: I would never eat my feathered friends. Isn't that
2: isn't that like a fatty duck liver, or goose liver?
1: Yeah, but I would never eat that, because I haven't eaten of the birds since I was 15, so and I would never eat So you've only eaten birds. like
2: cow liver?
1: Uh, no, it was pork liver
2: so gross.
1: <laughs> it's tasty. Don't knock it. So they also don't just drink umbongo in the Congo. They also eat pygmies. Uh, so pygmies aren't tiny people like what I thought, although they are tiny.
2: They're, they're short, aren't they're they? They're short,
1: but they're not short. short. I thought No, they were
2: they're not dwarves. Mi- I
1: thought they were midgets because <laughs> pygmy uh, implies midgets to me. I had to look it up. So these are the people that sharpen their teeth. And they have them in a... Yeah,
2: and they're probably like, what, like five feet? They're like my height, yeah.
1: Yeah. So back in 2003, the UN was calling for a ceasefire in the dense forest of northeast Congo after marauding rebels displaced more than 150,000 people in one fucking month. The city of Goma was a bloodbath of cannibalism, screamed the headlines. The civil war was already four years long by this point. And the pygmies were caught in the middle because they were playing a very deadly game of piggy in the middle with them. And similar to the massacres that occurred in Borneo a few years earlier, enemy commanders were feeding on the sexual orders of sexual organs of pygmies to give themselves strengths. Oh, they're
2: eating pygmy dick.
1: Eating pygmy dick and pussy. Terrible. I would also like to do as an aside here, leader of the Sikkim and Pak D. Simon, is covered in Dayak tattoos. And in 2001, the Dayaks were slaughtering, beheading, and eating the hearts of their sworn enemies, the Marderese. So this is crud and cold through the eyes and the pen of Richard Lloyd Parry in his book, In the Time of Madness.
2: Yeah, he says during the, the massacre of the Marderese minority in the, in the Indonesian part of Borneo, um, he met a young cannibal, Perry. Met a young cannibal who had just participated in a human barbecue, and told him without hesitation, "Tastes just like chicken, especially the liver, just the same as chicken."
1: So it's pretty cool that you have an entire bodysuit of cannibalistic tribes. They were headhunters
2: too. Yes. Uh, they yeah. Are. The uh, the Diank and the Ebon. So a lot of people know because you see my tattoos, you're just like, oh, they're just tribal black tattoos, like that everyone had in the '90s. But there was like, you know, there was that, that flash kind of tribal tattoos. Um, yes, they still look very 90s. But I actually, uh, at, at the time, I was dating a girl who worked at the, uh, the Field Museum of Anthropology. This is like early 90s. And so they had all these books of like Dutch people who went, like there were Dutch, like college professors and explorers that went to Borneo yeah. and drew all of the, uh, the designs. And I had never seen that before. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is kind of before tribal tattoos really took off. Because you are like, the football old. Football players had arms. Yeah, because yeah. I am old. So anyway, I like photocopied all these uh, pictures of the this Dayak art, uh, artwork and then started just getting them. And then over time, I found a guy, you know, in, uh, in Eindhoven. Um, that 7th uh, seed tattooing. And uh, he he's been he specializes in dyak tattoos.
1: Because there's only like five people, isn't there, around the well, world? I mean, in
2: Borneo, you can get them done. But even in Borneo, they don't even care about traditional tattoos. They're like more American style now.
1: Oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so back in the Congo, nearly all the tribes at some point either have been or they are cannibals. And the practice might be on the rise as the last vestiges of colonial influence have been eroded during this war. Much of the vast forested area is controlled by the Mai Mai, and they're a loose grouping of tribal militias united by their, you know, magical beliefs and their uh, taste for human flesh. Before we move on from the war crimes, though, there is one leader who had an endless appetite for war, but not so much for human flesh. Uh, Idi Amin, whose regime in Uganda was known for its brutality, might not have been joking when he shot back about if he was a cannibal or not with the quote, I don't like human flesh. It's too salty for me. (laughs) I think he was being a little bit salty. Uh, But maybe he's kind of right about cannibal cuisine, though, because it is highly taboo to chew on human meat there is one form of meat from a human that is considered pretty acceptable for people to eat. You know, we've got Courtney and Kim Kardashian doing it, Alicia Silverstone, Hillary Duff, all swallowing something in a practice known as placenta aphagy.
2: Say, I'm
1: saying that wrong. AKA eating the placenta.
2: Did Kim, wait, so Kim Kardashian and Courtney Kardashian both ate their kids' placentas. Yes. Well, that's weird.
1: So after you've popped it out of your uterus, you remove the umbilical cord and the membrane. It's kind of spongy like liver. Uh, You can chop it up. You can fry it. You can mince it. But nowadays, it's more popular to freeze it. And then you crush it up into pills.
2: Wait a second. Did Kanye West eat the placenta?
1: Maybe he did.
2: Because they're his kids. They're the kids he had with kids. But there's right?
1: no nutritional benefit from a man eating a placenta the same way it is for a woman.
2: Well, what does a woman get out of it?
1: Because you're supposed to get back all the nutrients. It's so rich in iron. And like after you've had nine months of not having periods, you have a mega period after you've given, after you've given birth. You know, you need the fucking energy. You've got a crying child. So that's mm. why they say you should do it. Hilary Duff, she obviously took a page from the book of Joe because she blitzed her placenta in her smoothie saying it was the most delightful smoothie I've ever had. I haven't had a smoothie that delightful since I was 10. It was calorie filled with juice and everything and everything delicious. So something tells me, though, that even her, even her placenta smoothie was more appetizing than any smoothie that you could make.
2: Doubtful at best. No, my smoothies <laughs> taste way better than placenta smoothies. I would have a
1: placenta smoothie over your smoothies any day.
2: You know my my cousin uh, ate her kid's smoothie or smoothie. <laughs> a, ate her kid's placenta. <laughs> Not how did she do it
1: though? Did she just chop it up?
2: Yeah, she chopped it up and she like fried it and seasoned it and ate it.
1: Yeah, I just think it's a bit fucking hippy dippy daft. It's like gross, it is gross. So. If placenta is the texture of liver, then that's not the texture of human flesh, though, right? So in an interview from his prison cell, the infamous cannibal, Armin Muse explained the taste of, like pork, a little more bitter, stronger. It tasted quite good. So I must point out here, though, that Armin used spices. After he'd stabbed 43-year-old participant burned brandes in the throat, he amputated his penis. He did say he tried to eat it raw, but it was very chewy, and I imagine a penis would be chewy.
2: Well, yeah, I think... That was the Burton Brandes wanted him to bite yeah, off. Yeah, it was penis. all
1: consensual. Yeah, and no,
2: but he asked him not to cut it, to bite it. Yeah, and he he couldn't get through it.
1: I've had penis in my mouth many a time, and like you just you know it's chewy.
2: I imagine you could probably if you really bit down on it.
1: Oh yeah, you could bite it off, yeah. but I don't think it would be like as pleasurable as like I don't know eating earlobe. That would be tastier, like, you know, your little yellow but the bottom. I think that would taste, like, nice, like candy floss, maybe.
2: I'm going to pass on either one.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Armin fries the penis in a pan with salt, pepper, wine, and garlic. He then added some of uh, Brandes' fat, but he must have had the pan too hot because it burned. So, he ended up feeding the dong to his dog.
2: <laughs> so I wonder, did he tell Brandes that?
1: He was like, whoopsie. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah, i feel be like, my pan was too hot. So when Brandes died, he hung his lifeless body on a meat hook and he proceeded to cut the flesh into, you know, sizable chunks. He ground up the bones to make some flour. He dismembered the entire body and he stored the parts in his freezer and he spent about 10 months eating about 44 pounds of man meat.
2: He's kind of like the Native Americans. They ate like every part of the buffalo.
1: Yeah, he's using every part of the pervert he'd murdered. So his first meal after he'd cut the body into pieces uh, before he ate his raspberry tart was a piece of rump steak, a piece from his back. And he ate it with potatoes and sprouts. He ate it off the good china. He had candles burning because after all, it was a very special occasion. He said the first bite was, of course, very strange. It was a feeling I can't really describe. I spent over 40 years longing for it, dreaming for it. Now I was getting the feeling that I was actually achieving this perfect concoction through his flesh. Hmm sounds a bit perverse. It sounds like
2: Dr. I mean, it's kind of like Dr. Lecter, like the way he was like yeah. enjoying it. Oh, yeah. And but he on like an intellectual level.
1: In January 2004, he's convicted of manslaughter and he's sentenced to eight years and six months in prison. But he was then sentenced to life imprisonment for murder in May of 2006. And since then, the Rottenberg cannibal has apparently become a vegetarian.
2: Well, I didn't know that. He became a vegetarian while in prison?
1: Yeah, because I mean, once you've had the forbidden white flesh, how can you ever go back?
2: Well, I imagine it's probably the prison food.
1: And that as well, which is very highly calorific and carb-filled.
2: I don't know about German prison food. but I couldn't imagine it's much better than the U.S. prison food.
1: Oh, no, I think it's better than the U.S. Oh, yeah.
2: It's funny that they accommodate vegetarians.
1: Well, they have to.
2: I wonder what they do in U.S. prisons.
1: Well, you will get just probably a slice of American cheese on bread and some fruit.
2: (laughs) So, Muse ended up posting, he posted an online ad looking for a volunteer. He, that's how he found uh, Burnt Brands. So he posted this ad that said, looking for a well-built 18 to 25-year-old to be slaughtered and then consumed. Sexy. And you believe it or not, multiple people responded to the ad.
1: Yeah, but I bet lots of them were probably thinking it would be play. And then when they met Armin and realized it was totally serious, they were like, "Yeah." <laughs>
2: well, Bern Brandes, a 43 year old engineer from Berlin, answered the ad in March 2001. Um, I guess yeah, Muse said. Other many people responded, but a lot of them backed out. Um, Muse didn't attempt to force them to do anything against their will. I mean, they completely volunteered for this. So Muse, you know, cut off Brandes' dick, and then he ran a bath for him. Like you ever see those? Pictures of that Ming in bathtub.
1: Yeah, I think Nico Clow has the buff now. I know he has. He actually uh, has
2: the actual bath. I think
1: he has his buff, and I think Nico also has his um, like deep. His freezer where he'd stored all the man meat outside. He has a few things from Armin's house before it got burned I wonder down.
2: how you get that. Like, did he ship it from Germany to... Nico Cloud lives in Paris, right?
1: Uh, he lives somewhere in France or Switzerland. I'm not quite sure. But I think he went there before the house burned down. I think he just burgled a ton of stuff. Would
2: you use the refrigerator as your personal refrigerator? Yeah, why not? Or would you keep it as like a relic?
1: I would totally use it. And then when people came over, I'd be like, guess where I pulled, uh, <laughs> guess where I pulled this dinner from? From Armin's Frieza.
2: So after Armin um, cut the dick off, he then ran Brandis a bath. And then he went to go read a Star Trek book of while course. checking on him every 15 minutes, during which time Brandis lay bleeding out in the bath, drifting in and out of consciousness. And after long hesitation and prayer, Muse killed him by stabbing him in the throat. And then he hung the body on a meat hook. And that's how he dismembered him and cut off chunks. Um, the incident was completely recorded and documented on a four-hour videotape, which has never been released oh, to the public. The- but screenshots can be found online. But the credibility has never really been proven.
1: I've never seen any of the screenshots that were... I'm like, that's like exactly that. It's definitely recreation. I think it's
2: a recreation too. There, there's screenshots of him just like with the, the, the torso cut in half and the two legs and his face between it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fake.
1: This is kind of... Like, I understand why they kept the basement tapes away from everyone and we'll never see them. But, like, what's the harm in letting us see this video?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I know, I'm amazed they're able to suppress it. Yeah. Do you think someone like Nico Clow would pay a lot of money for it?
1: Well, or just anyone would be able to leak it. So, you know, I would totally see this video. Armin is just one of the many German cannibals throughout history. So way back on the Patreon, I profiled the life of a Polish Karl Denke in Overkill episode 767. Uh, This was when the lines were drawn and it was Germany at the time. He killed his victims. He pickled their flesh to sell at the market in Warsaw as park. And because it was World War One, he made a lot of profit uh, out of unwitting cannibals. you got to sign up to the patron to find out how that tale ends. I did that one so long ago, I'm embarrassed to listen to it. So I don't know what it sounds like. Fritz Harmon, aka the Butcher of Hanover, aka the Vampire of Hanover, aka Wolfman. Nice. He killed at least 24 people. He said he killed more like 40 to 70 mostly male prostitutes and young boys uh, by biting their necks as he sodomized aka tenderized them during the years of 1918 to 1924. I was thinking you have to be very dexterous to
2: to bite the neck
1: to bite the adam's apple as you are fucking them from behind.
2: I mean, I guess if they if they're kids I and mean, we was see a very tall man.
1: I think he was, yeah.
2: yeah he might be able to do it.
1: So friends recalled how in the winter of 1923, Harmon appeared at their home to prepare them for a delicious meal of sausage and schnitzel. Asked what type of sausage he was cooking, Harmon said it was a formed of sheep intestines at Chinni reckon. The grateful recipients agreed the sausage was particularly well seasoned, but it tasted more like brains. He disagreed, saying it was very similar to pork, both in taste and texture. The whole time, just like probably like smarmy, while uh, yeah, yeah, doing that smarmy smile.
2: How's it taste? Does
1: it taste like sausage? Be sincere. Don't know why he's Indian. (laughs) (laughs) Not everyone was happy with the meat that they purchased from her. Harmon and a number of customers complained, saying that they had become quite unwell after consuming it. He also sold man meat on the black market, claiming that it was pork. And then he was caught by the actual Park Brigade (laughs) and he's executed by beheading in 1925. So his head was preserved and it was left to collect dust at the University of Göttingen's Medical Department. But they actually cremated it in 2014.
0: Why would they display it?
1: But like, why didn't they sell it to Ripley's? Why didn't they sell it to me?
2: Well, like in uh, Lisbon, they had, uh, I forget that guy's name, but that oh, yeah, one the, uh, the criminal. Yeah, yeah, they they You can go see his head in the university. You
1: just have to write and you can go in. Yeah. So the, the classic film Elm, M, uh, directed by Fritz Lang, it was inspired by Harman's crimes, as well as those of Dusseldorf child killer uh, Peter Curtin. So Harman is mentioned by name in the film, along with another German serial killer, Carl Grossman.
2: Before we get to that, do you know uh, the movie Delicate?
1: Yeah, I remember that movie. That's based off
2: of Harmon as well.
1: Oh my God, look at all the film. And they just burnt his head. What the fuck? So, although he's never proven to be a cannibal, rumors abound that the Berlin butcher, aka Karl Grossman, who was also selling meat on the black market too, and mystery meat in his hot dog stand, was testing and tasting the other white meat. Neighbors reported that he seemed to have had a steady supply of female companions. Mostly destitute-looking young women over the previous years, many went into his apartment, but few emerged from it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> How many lives he took is not known. Only the body of his final victim was found, along with lots of bloodstains in his apartment that indicated at least three other people had been butchered in the few weeks leading up to his arrest. After his arrest on the 21st of August 1921, he confessed to about 20 murders, But the pieces of the missing women that had been found in the canals and the mystery bones in Andre Square pointed to around 100 murders of women and young girls. Uh, He didn't hang around long enough in life because he hung himself from the short end of a long rope in his jail cell taking his belly full of secrets to the graves about what he'd been up to. So I know all these German guys, pretty deplorable. There's nothing remotely sexy about them. Nothing says, Daddy, can I have some sausage? About them. (laughs) But there is one man, there is one mad daddy who bit the bullet of body meat and he lived to tell the tale. And it's not Jeffrey Dahmer.
2: I was about to guess Dahmer. It's
1: not Jeffrey Dahmer. He likes sausage. He did. I did an Overkill episode at uh, 857. I did a whole tasty homage to Jeffrey Dahmer and Lionel Dahmer's in it too. I am talking about the very sexy and the very salacious William Bueller Seabrook. Step right in, daddy. Bueller. He's a journalist, he's a cad, he's best buddies with Lee Miller, and he documented all of this, his travels worldwide, in particular West Africa, for the New York Times nearly a century ago. I'm going to call him Willie. He deserves to be called Willie. He was fascinated by the concept of cannibalism, much like me, your very blushing and humble co host, so much so that he persuaded and Willie could be very persuasive, a medical intern at the Sorbonne to give him a chunk of meat, human meat, swiped from a virile man who had died in an accident. Imagine going up to like a medical intern and being like, I want a virile man who has died in an accident. I
2: wonder what this guy did to owe him that kind of favor.
1: Oh, well, I've, Willie was very dashing. Yeah, I mean, He's I like he's Errol persuasive.
2: Flynn. There must have been some money involved. Oh, of
1: course. So Willie took it home, he cooked it, and he ate it. And he described it as... It was like good, fully developed veal, not young, but not yet beef. It was very definitely like that, and it was not like any other meat I have ever tasted. It was nearly like good, fully developed veal that I think no person with a palate of ordinary, normal sensitiveness could distinguish it from veal. It was mild, good meat with no other sharply defined or highly characteristic taste, uh, such as, for instance, goat, high game, and
2: pork have. So it was kind of gamey.
1: No, he's saying it wasn't gamey at all. Oh, okay,
2: no, so it didn't have the gamey taste of like yeah, you know, like venison some or something like that. So my mm, question medicine, then, delicious. So my question is, if he got it from a virile man, was it a young man? Because what if you're eating like the meat of an eighty-year-old man?
1: No, you want to be eating the meat. Would mi- that
2: be like you know beef jerky?
1: I want to eat the meat of a twenty-five-year-old firefighter who has died. In a motorbike crash where he didn't get too smashed.
2: Why don't you eat him after he died in a fire? Because he'd be cooked Well, no, already. Because,
1: no, because then he'll be all smoky on the inside, and I just want oh, to taste yeah, man meat. Be smoky. Yeah, he'll be smoked. I don't want smoked meat. Even you don't want smoked meat. Smoked meat was delicious, and oh, one of my favorite, one of my chippy meals, I would either get fish and chips and mushy peas, or I would get smoked sausage and chips with mushy peas.
2: So it'd be like a smoked fireman's sausage?
1: Maybe. So he also reveals in his autobiography that he might have eaten human flesh on another occasion. So wealthy, hoity-toity socialite, an heiress to the singer sewing machine fortune, Daisy Fellows, she invites him to a garden party and she mocks Daddy Willie for stating that he wasn't allowed to consume human flesh with the tribes in Africa in his book Jungle Ways, saying to him and the dozen or so guests, I think you deserve to know what human flesh really tastes like, Willie. So, a piece of apparently human meat was grilled and eaten much to everyone's cheer and, like, aplomb and delight. And he comments that while he never found out the real truth behind the meat, it looked and tasted exactly like the human flesh he had eaten before. And in those days, you know, it was all about shock and scandal. So, I wouldn't be surprised if I wonder it was. whose
2: flesh it was.
1: Oh, they're fucking, they're rich
2: socialites.
1: It was probably a tramp's. Yeah. So, this is going to lead us to the real heart of darkness. What kind of meat is human meat? So on Taste Alone, pork has been a common occurrence. The cannibals on the uh, Polynesian island of the Marquia, Marquise, Marquesas, Marquesas, how do you know that?
2: It's, you know, there's a lot of Polynesian tattooing that comes off the market. It's a very distinct style. Actually, um, uh, Jerome does Marquesian tattoos too.
1: Okay, I don't even know where Polynesia is.
2: <laughs> it's kind of by, it's kind of like Samoa and like that area around. I the, don't
1: even know where they are. The
2: Pacific Islands near Hawaii.
1: Okay, they're just out there. Um, He refers to they actually refer to human meat as long pig because of their likeness to pork.
2: I have read that before, long pig.
1: But taste isn't everything, and this goes back to a known point of culinary confusion on what most of us consider red meat and what most of us consider white meat. The red color of muscle is caused by a richly pigmented protein called uh, myoglobin, more specifically hemis, hemis. I can't remember. I remember doing this in biology. So the chemical compounds that myoglobin uses to bind and store oxygen as a fuel source for active muscles. So the more myoglobin a muscle contain- cell contains, the more heme it carries, the more heme the red of the meat, right?
2: So according to the meat science section of Texas A&M, um, universities, or Texas A&M's University's Department of Animal Science Pork, lamb, and beef Average 2, 6, and 8 milligrams Of myoglobin per gram of muscle So that's a, Roughly a concentration Of 0.2%, 0.6%, 0.8% Respectively The concentration of myoglobin in human Muscle tissues is much higher Even relative to pigs, sheep, and cows it Comes in at close to 20 milligrams Per gram of certain muscle fibers or a 2% concentration of myoglobin.
1: Can I just say, as a, as a vegetarian, I fucking miss lamb the most, more than anything. It's the meat I miss. God, you
2: should be a meat eater. You well, should be a carnivore. Not, you actually miss no, this taste. Yeah,
1: I do, because I'm, a carna- I'm not a carnivore free choice. I oh, love long the taste for it. of it. Why meat? not just say, fuck it? No, because I love animals, and I don't think you can sit there and say, I love animals while still eating them. I love cows, what if they kill humanely. No, it doesn't matter. I want them to live forever. I want a cow to live out its beautiful. Well, what if life. Well there's like
2: overpopulation, so you need to like, you know, cull. Well let the a wolf go in
1: and have a feast. Like we should not be fucking we should not eat them. We can survive without them. Like oh, yeah. without eating I mean, them. I
2: have for what, thirty eight years?
1: Yeah. And I just think I just love animals and people who are like, Oh, I love I love a pig and then they go and eat a bacon sandwich are fucking hypocrites. You can't do that. You don't obviously love them. And I say this as somebody who also eats fish and wears (laughs) leather. So I'm a hypocrite (laughs) too.
2: Well, I've always said I think animals should be worn, not eaten.
1: I agree with you. Pork is obviously red meat, but people will, you know, call it a white meat, obviously. Pork contains more myoglobin than chicken or fish. And in fact, is classed as livestock alongside veal, lamb and beef. And all livestock is considered red meat. So humans are no different. And anyone who spent their formative years on Rotten.com, they will tell you that human muscle meat is very, very obviously red. This falls in more with what Willie was saying. Tastes more like beef or veal. He also wrote that when cooked, the meat turned grayish, not unlike lamb.
2: That's oh, so what we eat. Lamb meats, grayish? Sometimes it can be a grayish. I guess I've seen that the kebabs.
1: Oh my God, I love a kebab. Uh, it
2: just looks so gross on the spit.
1: No, that's my favorite.
2: Ugh, like you just don't barf. know what
1: type of meat it is, and then you just, you're really drunk and you eat one of them. Britain does the best kebabs. And that's
2: why you guys have mad cow disease.
1: It's probably it is why we have mad cow disease, but I miss kebabs. That would be if I was on death row and I was dying. I would have a kebab. One last kebab. One last kebab with garlic sauce and curry and chili sauce. But, you know, there's a lack of uh, chatty cafe cannibals around. The debate over human meat will continue on. And uh, both pork and veal might be accurate des- uh, descriptions of human meat, but most of us will never, ever find out for ourselves. But if any listeners have chowed down on a corpse meet recently or maybe back in their illicit past, past in the Marshall Islands. Hello, Marshall Island Tony. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with us.
2: Be careful what you ask for. Although I would be interested to know if uh, Marshall Island Tony has tasted human flesh.
1: He kind of looks like the daddy who might I'd, have done it. Out
2: of all the listeners that we have, I would say that guy. I'd put my money on that guy.
1: Are you hungry? Because I'm kind of hungry. No,
2: not at all. I'm actually quite the opposite.
1: I'm really hungry and I could just like, if there was like a bit of lamb in front of me, I probably would eat it right now.
2: You are so not a vegetarian.
1: I'm not at heart, no. No, but you definitely you I morally eat meat. chose to. I morally chose to turn to the bad side, just out of no, the No, but you animals. have
2: fantasies about eating meat.
1: Yeah, but you know, I also have fantasies about picking up a gun and walking into a school and shooting everyone. Does not do mean I'm going to do it? Of course, I do.
2: Jesus, you should never. I'm, now, I'm, now I can't get a gun.
1: Wouldn't you just love to go and do a mass no. shooting and just shoot like forty people? No. Would you not? No. I have loads of, like, you know when Why you Why would you in, want
2: to do a mass shooting?
1: You know when you're in a really busy place, like a mall, and there's just people everywhere. Yeah, I leave. Do you, just, do you just, not want to kill them
2: all? No. I just, I want to avoid them. I want to get out. I want to get what I was going to the mall for and leave as hastily as possible. I don't want to kill them. Oh, I right. Don't, I don't even want to feel, I don't even want to, like, experience that. I think it'd just be annoying.
1: You know what you can blame it on? I spent a lot of years playing GTA. And that's why I'm going to blame it on. GTA.
2: Um, yeah. I would we'll, like to we'll blame it game. on GTA. <laughs> yeah, let's air blame quotes. it. <laughs> well, why you know, not? at the very least, this episode, I hope we gave people some inspiration out there for their family Christmas dinner.
1: Some recipes. Just don't be like Armin. Don't put your, you know, your pan on too high a heat. You don't want to burn the fat because then it makes everything inedible. Just
2: be creative. Think outside yeah. the bun, people. <laughs> um, this episode 925 here is sick and wrong. Uh, we've got a few phone calls coming up next. 323 4032 but first, here's a quick word from Adam and Eve. Ah, the holidays. It's snowing outside, the fires crackling, and there's a big jar of unused lube on your nightstand. And that can only mean one thing. It's December. Yes, that time of year that we celebrate Christ's
1: alleged birth with the purchase of a shiny brand new dildo at AdamEve.com. And if you use coupon code DIDDLE on your order, you'll get 50% off your first purchase, three free adult DVDs, and a free gift. Show your loved ones you still care and cram a brand new dildo down their holiday
2: road. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, AdamandEve.com, and making a purchase
0: using coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. Like priests do to altar boys. Hallelujah. So
2: we got a couple phone calls here. Um, Actually, they're pretty good. They're from... uh, I had these in the collection... And uh, they're just kind of sitting in the backlog. And I looked over and I was like, oh, shit. I named them incorrectly. But these came during Spooktober. Oh. And I accidentally forgot to play them during that period. So a couple months later, still just as good. Uh, people, you can call the Cigarette Hotline at 323-522-4032. Or you can send us an email at Podcast at gmail.com. We do want to hear from you. and Plus, I'm trying to build up a backlog of calls. Um. Much like this one. So remember that guy who uh, who was a he was an American, but he was teaching in a, in like a Korean school. Yes. So this guy called in with a spooky story that was for Spooktober, but we we're playing it a couple months
0: later. Okay,
1: better late than never.
0: Hey, Dean Kate, um, this is Korean teacher calling. Last time I called it was months ago about uh, not. Being a victim of the tsunami in uh, box on Boxing Day in two thousand and whatever early—that's
2: when he called in. He uh, for some reason missed his trip to, uh, to was it to Thailand and yeah. didn't end up being part of the uh, the tsunami. Good lucky guy! It's like some final destination going on there. It is two thousands.
0: Um, so you asked for some stories about uh, spooky or horror things that have happened to you and uh this i'm not sure if this really counts or not but um this is a story of me going to the killing fields of cambodia uh, about 13 years ago i really want to go there
1: this is bucket list uh, bucket it's list high on for the me. bucket list yeah. it's super high you know what they used to do in the killing fields of cambodia the soldiers
2: skull fuck the skulls
1: they would grab toddlers by their fat little ankles and smash them to death against trees
2: is it, wait, that's one of your wet dreams?
1: I would like to do it against a wall. Personally, I feel a brick wall would be so better.
2: When you masturbate, do you either think of massacring a bunch of people with a gun in a mall or smashing babies against a wall? Like, I, what do you usually do?
1: Well, obviously, like, babies is an easy target because they can't fight back. So, toddlers. But sa- same with, like, sh- just shooting people in a mall is an easy target.
2: But what do you find more gratifying?
1: I think smashing a baby would be more gratifying. <laughs>
2: you need to go to therapy
1: (laughs) this is my therapy Uh,
0: it's a real fucking mind trip man going there uh the whole country is one of the most amazing and depressing places you'll ever be angkor wat is just like out of this world but anyways um going through the killing fields is crazy because uh it took place in this prison where something like twenty-five thousand people were sent to be interrogated uh, and imprisoned, and only 12 survived that ordeal. Wow. Um, they would interrogate people just for wearing glasses because they thought they were intellectuals and they were trying to kill intellectualism and all this, that, and the other in the, in the country. And uh, you go through there, and there is a pagoda of skulls of all the victims they've disinterned from the ground. Uh, and it's arranged by age group. so children at the, are at the bottom and uh well, so you get like little baby
2: skulls and then you get like a like teenager skulls and you get adult skulls
1: i would have done it in like a, a, a triangle shape but i would have put the old skulls at the balls at the bottom because you f- baby skulls are kind of delicate shouldn't so they be at more the top? like a pyramid yeah i would have done a pyramid of skulls
0: Olds are way at the top and you just see like skull after skull after skull after skull And uh, the children I was teaching in Korea at the time, um, you know, they were somewhere between seven and 12 years old. And I'm looking at all these skulls of between seven and 12 years old. And it's just like, really, fuck with me. Uh, And then you walk around and.
2: Did he say who he was? He he wasn't going on a school field trip here, the Killing Fields.
1: No. Although I would. I wonder if they do that. that. I'd love that.
2: Wow. I I still think Americans would just be on their cell phone looking at Instagram the whole time. Maybe. Or TikTok. But I would, that would be amazing if uh, schools actually did a field trip like that.
1: It is funny, the difference between, like, Americans and, like, because, you know, I grew up in Roman country where there's literally bloodshed everywhere. There's nowhere, no part of Britain where somebody has not been horribly murdered at some point in history. <laughs> so you just kind of become used to it. And he's like, you see skulls everywhere. You're just a bit like... Yeah, I can go into a bone church and see a bunch of skulls. It's like,
2: but you know, do they have any bone churches in uh, England?
1: No ossuaries that I know of. I think there might be some in the Highlands, maybe, but not hmm. that I know of.
2: Yeah, but definitely in Europe,
0: along the the grounds of the place, and uh, you can see where rain has uh, eroded some of the topsoil, and sometimes there's little pits here and there, and you can look into the pits and you can see chunks of bone and the tattered remains of the clothes of the victim everywhere and it's just absolutely absolutely horrifying Um, and you can see the prison cells where these people were tortured and interrogated and the survivors all dozen of them or so uh, they painted um, pictures of their ordeals and the torture they, uh, they had inflicted upon them and you can see the paintings that they did and you can see the mugshots of all of the victims that they have, because the the Khmer Rouge were very good record keepers, and oh, so like the they would uh, yeah. have these long confessions that they tortured out of people, and they'd have their mugshots, and they would torture them, and they would tell names, and they would bring those names in, and they would torture. Well, like the like the the Gestapo.
1: Yeah, just like the yeah. Nazis.
0: Uh, There's part two. Hey, I got cut off, so this is uh, this would be part two of visiting the Killing Field, the horrifying and spooky tale that might be appropriate for this holiday season. Do you think that would be a great date, like first date?
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, it would be for me. <laughs> He's Big. selling this place to me. There's no point where I've been like, this does not sound not fantastic. I want to go. I wonder if there's a gift shop at the end.
2: <laughs> like you could buy a little skull? Like a little, a little skull. skull
1: key ring with your name on it. <laughs>
2: Like a paperweight with a skull. That'd be great.
0: Um, So uh, where was I? Uh, Yeah. So you see all the the paintings and the victims and uh, the paintings of the torture and the victims and all that stuff. And it's just utter madness. Um, And then it's, it's located near the city of Phnom Penh, which is the capital city. And at the time it didn't seem like much of a capital city, but you know, it was the capital city. And you walk around and you see these giant fruit bats running around everywhere while well, they're flying. Right. Um, but they're, they've got like wings, like four or five feet long, like, long, like a wingspan four or five feet do that. wide. that's crazy. Uh, and, uh, kind of scary because they're just in these big trees and just hanging out and they're flapping their wings and everything like that yeah but
2: those aren't like vampire bats they're not going to attack you are they
1: this guy should work for the cambodia tourism board because <laughs> there has been no point in this phone call where i have not been riveted to want to then just take out a credit card and go to cambodia tomorrow to go and stay in champagne and then go see the killing peels
2: he's really selling it to me Although it, this has been pretty high up my bucket list. I really want to go to Bangkok
1: and oh, then from right. Bangkok
2: go to Cambodia. Just kind of do those two. I think you could do that in 10 days.
1: I think it would be a lot in 10
2: days. Now, I think I've heard those two cities because you, you're not going to spend 10 days in Bangkok. I think you could do like... I could spend you could 10 do four days, days in and, You could do four days in Bangkok <laughs> and then you could fly over and then go hit up Phnom Penh. Probably even hit up another city.
1: Sean Penh. You both mispronouncing the name. It's pronounced Sean Sean Penn. Penn? Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And then there's all these gangs of children running around in non Penn and the thing is like they're all trying to sell you knockoff items and uh you know, like reprinted cheap copies of books about Cambodia and the killing fields and this, that and the other. And uh the thing is, uh if they don't sell enough merchandise, they get beaten. So they are very, very pushy, and if you don't buy things from them, they will threaten you. Um, but I'm a giant, so, like, it doesn't, you know, I'm not scared. Also, they're a gang of children, so I'm not scared. But hell, who knows? Anything can happen over there, right? Goddamn, that's got to be annoying.
1: Isn't it a bit shit? It's kind of like the pimp will beat them.
2: Well, I guess. or I'm, Yeah, whoever's their, their overlord. You know, reminded me when I was in Egypt. You, uh you had a, like you were just sworn by these kids when you're at the pyramids and these kids are grabbing at your pockets, grabbing at your wallet, grabbing at your you know, if you had like a camera, they'll try to grab your camera and they're just and these kids like, they're so poor that some of them are like missing eyes. Ugh. Some of them have like skin infections. So I'm just like the whole time, like, holy shit, get the fuck away from me while trying to protect my dad, who's got like, a, you know, he's got like one of those like hip sacks, a bum, sacks. Bag. A yeah, bum, a bum bag. bag. He's got his camera and he's trying to take pictures. And I'm like, oh shit, I wish I had like a fucking stick to keep him away.
1: That's what we'll do when we go to Cambodia. We'll take your dad's walking stick. And, and we'll use that them? as protection. I think we should
2: just get, like, a fucking stun gun.
1: And just tase them when they come near.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds awful. Um, and there's all kinds of other crazy stuff you can do in Gompenn. Like, you can basically get and fire any kind of weapon you wanted. In um, fact, when I heard stories of people who could or had purchased rockets that they could shoot at cow's. Like this is Why? weird shit going on Holy over shit. there. shit. That upsets me more um, than I the that killing fields. Cambodia dance. is a very crazy and uh, like amazing country. Um, but definitely recommend going out there sometime, uh, especially to see Angkor Wat. And uh, I know you and uh, you both are drawn to the macabre. So the killing fields would definitely hit a sweet spot for you or a dark spot, however you want to call it. Anyways, I hope you're doing great. Um, Love the new format of the show oh, and uh, keep on keeping on, especially like the serial uh, killer uh, stuff that uh, Kate does. Anyways, have a good Aww. night and uh, enjoy your weekend in spooky LA.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Korean teacher. See, this, this call would have fit perfectly with Spooktober. It's just
1: as good to listen to now. Yeah,
2: no, it, this is great. It's definitely very relevant. And dude, you've you've sold this. I think to a lot of our listeners, (laughs) go checking out the Killing Fields. But this has been on my list for like, oh God, 15 years.
1: We were talking about it because we were like, I turned 40 and you turned 50 uh, in the same year, only a month after each other. So we were were talking about we're either going to do a Nazi tour across Europe where we're going to hit up, like we'll go see the Eagle's Nest and we'll go do stuff like that. Or we were going to go to the Killing Fields.
2: Yeah, I think a flight to Bangkok and then from Bangkok to Cambodia would be cool. Or the best thing would be flying to Tokyo.
0: And, and then Tokyo, go down.
2: But the thing is, Japan, like, I'd want to do, I just want to go do like 10 days in Japan, like go to, you know, Tokyo and Osaka and all those other places. Yeah,
1: I want to go to Okinawa and go Yeah, and to Okinawa.
2: Like, like I'd, I'd like to just spend more time in Japan. Because when I went there, I just did Tokyo, which is amazing. Tokyo is amazing. And 10 days in Tokyo, you don't even see the whole city. But we miss like all the other like amazing cities in Japan. So I would like to just do Thailand and Cambodia in one trip. I think that'd be cool.
1: See, I'm a little bit not fussed for Thailand. Like, What am I going to do in Thailand? I don't like the beach. I've, and... heard, I've heard
2: Bangkok is a trip. I've heard some really wild stories about Bangkok. Yeah, I'm you... not going to go to the beach.
1: Yeah, maybe Bangkok's like great if you're like there for a bit of casual sexual tourism.
2: No, it's more than that. I've just heard it's just weird.
1: It's yeah. weird and
2: it's kind of cool to check out. And there's also like amazing like temples and I'd rather go to Singapore. Nightlife.
1: I've heard Singapore is so fucking cool and it's like kind of Mediterranean y. So I would rather go to Singapore.
2: Yeah, that's where we differ. No, I don't know. I'd like to go see all those cities. But uh, I think from the reason I've, I've checked in Bangkok is because Bangkok's actually pretty close to Cambodia. So you could either take a train or it's like a really, it's like an hour flight. Yeah, so it's an easy it's an easy trip to do, and you could spend more time there. Where Singapore should... is a little further removed, but probably not that far to fly to either one.
1: What I've always wanted to do as well is is go to Vietnam, and I would like to go and do like a little um, Sean Flynn hunt. I always thought that would be fun.
2: Sean Flynn, you mean the is that the dude from uh, Full Metal Jacket?
1: The Errol Flynn's son became a war oh. photographer, and he actually got mur- Well, he got killed when he was in uh, Vietnam. But you can go like follow like the, the trail of where he was last seen and where he like died and stuff.
2: I wonder, what I've always wondered is with just, I know in Japan, a lot of people do speak English there, but the signs aren't really in English. So it was definitely difficult. I wonder like if you're in like a town like Phnom Penh, how difficult that would be.
1: Uh, I don't think there's anything in English, but I think <laughs> everyone will help you and then you'll have to give them like a lollipop or something.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to check it out. Anyway, um, people call stick the sticker on hotline, 323-522-4032. So um, just so everyone knows, the holiday show is going to be recorded uh, or was recorded this weekend, and we're going to be airing it next weekend and uh, in two parts. It was a long one, and it's very entertaining. We, we find a lot of uh, a lot of like intimate details about steel that we never knew about.
1: Every, every time we have steel on the show – Something comes out about him.
2: He really opened up this time, though. This
1: time was the most he's ever talked about his work and what he's gotten up to. Part one is Steel, and part two is wackily. Yeah, he
2: yeah. he really opened up. is pretty much the same, but on point this time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. You, you don't want to miss the holiday show. And uh, thanks to all the listeners who support us on Patreon and Apple Podcasts. Seriously, we do appreciate you um, keeping this show going. Uh, you know, it's it's tough. We spend a lot of money to do this every week. It's definitely, you know, a passion of both mine and Kate's. Uh, but it does take a lot of time. And just the fact that you guys support us on Patreon and Apple Podcasts, it does help cover the cost of the show and uh, it just keeps us going, you know. Patreon.com slash Wrong. Sign up today. Also, if you want to get a last-minute Christmas gift, you still have time. Just go to the Tee Public store, Podcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Get yourself some Sigarong merch. Um, finally, here's Sigarong Song of the Week. This one is uh, rather thematic here. Um, we're going to end the show with a song called Mein Tile by, uh, by Rammstein. Um, it's this, it's the song is called "My Penis." That's it's slang for my penis.
1: Oh, to, uh, Wasky, if you can tell us why "tile" is slang for penis, that'd be well, great.
2: Yeah, mine tile. Well, it's, it's my part or my share, but it's slang for my penis, and it's the uh, the, it's from their fourth studio record, "Rise, Rise," came out in two thousand four. Uh, but mine mine teal attracted controversy in Germany, and uh, the media dubbed it "das of Berlinied, I can't say it. Um, whatever the Cannibal Song, uh, due to its lyrics about Armin Mew's cannibalism case.
1: Did you ever see the porno with the lead singer from Ramstein?
2: No, I saw that. Uh, I saw that video that they did. the hell out of new today. Right?
1: It's a porno. Big Titty Goff Detective put it up on the Discord ages ago. I'll maybe make a repost it just because it's one of the worst pornos I've ever seen. It's like <laughs> I'm nearly sure unwatchable. It is it's like With unwatchable Till, Till
2: Linderman that's like, was, his name yeah he so. was banging all the he was like the main star or was it the whole band
1: he's in it it's him and I think his like wife was saying, what I hate is when porno tries to be like too arty and cut away and do like all this stupid stuff it's like just we just want to see fucking. we just want to see you and your dick fucking like we don't want to see like all beneath this sort of the
2: shit beneath the ball shots like really close <laughs> up that's what we want to see <laughs>
1: No. <laughs> but that's what we want to see of a celebrity when they fuck, yes.
2: Um, but this song's inspired by the case of Armin muse and uh Burnt Brandis. And so according to the bassist Ali Rydell, the song came about after one of the members brought in a newspaper to a rehearsal and it had the story about the cannibal guy out.
1: Fantastic.
2: It. And he said they were fascinated. He was like, we We're fascinated, shocked and amused at the same time. until Till Linderman, the vocalist, said it is so sick that it becomes fascinating, and there just has to be a song about it. So, a prominent <laughs> phrase in the song is, Denn du bist, vas du isst, und ihr vis vas es ist. Because you are what you eat, and you know what it is.
1: You're a sausage.
2: You're a sausage. Daddy, exactly. gonna have some sausage? So, we're gonna show here with uh, Mind Teal by Ramstein. People will be back next week with the holiday show part one. Till then. Take it sleazy.
0: and bake for the best
2: cakes ever. Here's my holiday fruit cake. Start with some cherry pie filling and canned fruit cocktail. Dump on a chocolate cake mix and pour on a cherry cola. That's it. Just bake for a warm holiday cake all your guests will love.